there today. Uh, today we're starting a new series called The Heart, and you hear it every week. You see it uh, all over um, anything that we print or, or anything like that. You see it every week. You hear it all the time. We say that our name is our mission. Our name is our mission to love Chapel Hill. And what's the rest of it? With the heart. There it is. Thank you, Rodney. With some emphasis. I like that. Awesome. With the heart of Jesus. Now, I love that. Most of you could repeat if I said, what is our mission? You could probably say, oh, our name is our mission. Love Chapel Hill. But that second part is the most important part of all of it. That is why we are here. That's what gives us direction. That's what defines everything that we do. Our love for this community flows out of the heart of Jesus and his love for this community, his love for the people in this town, for the lost people all around us, his love for you. And as we're going to see today, Jesus is obsessed with two things. Jesus is obsessed with bringing glory to his father. And Jesus is obsessed with bringing redemption to the world. And that's what he wants to see in our community. He wants to see the reconciling of those two things, his father with the lost children, to bring them together. And Jesus endured hell to make that happen, to accomplish that and to see that become a reality. That is the heart of Jesus. So when we talk about our mission, I love that you get that. I love it, okay? It's fantastic. But we have to take a step back and we have to look at what is the root behind that mission. What is it that empowers our mission and everything that we do? And it has to flow out of the heart of Jesus. So for the next uh, five weeks together, we're going to be examining the heart of Jesus. We're going to look at exactly what we mean when we say that. And the first piece that we're looking at today is this idea of intimacy with the Father intimacy with the father you cannot understand the heart of jesus without seeing that intimacy that he has with his father it's all throughout the gospels and we're going to study that uh, a little bit today and look into that today father help us help us as we examine your heart for us help it to be really clear I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would strike us today with your word. Cut through whatever boundaries we have up. Get to us today. Let your spirit be active and busy moving in this place as you already are. We love your word and we're so grateful that your word is living. Your word is alive. Your word shapes us. Your word transforms us. And we pray that that would happen for us today. And that you would draw us into this intimacy that we can experience as well, that you've made possible for us. Help us today. So in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, on Christmas Day, uh, we had a great Christmas Day with our, our family. And um, in the evening, we were sitting around the table together, Sarah and our two boys, Sam and Luke. And Sam and Luke are the three and a half years old. And uh, Sarah was playing a little Christmas game with them, like a little guessing game. And they, they absolutely love Christmas. Like they hated Christmas to be over. And they kept saying, it's still Christmas. It's still Christmas, right? They loved it. And, and so Sarah's playing this little Christmas guessing game with them. And so she's like, okay, what is 
tall and green, and they're like, Christmas tree. Yes, okay, good job. Okay, um, he's a reindeer with a red nose. Rudolph, yes, all right, great. Okay, he's an old guy. Daddy. <laughs> You're grounded, all right. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas, thank you very much. Awesome. That's not as bad as the server at McAllister's who referred to me as being a part of the Vietnam era. <laughs> the Vietnam generation. I'm like, what? I was not even born. Barely. But I was not even born yet. Okay. In my old age, all right, as clearly is happening, as I continue to grow old and hopefully slightly wiser as the time passes, this is something that just keeps coming back as something that is so clearly critical to our relationship with Jesus, so clearly critical to what it means to walk every day as a Christian, to be rooted in intimacy with the Father. And we see this in Jesus' life, and this is what he is inviting us into as well. It's what he is making possible for us. It's his deepest desire for us. Deepest desire for us. Many of you make goals for this next year, right? And and some of you, a couple of them are still intact right now, okay? Some of you have made goals, but this is what Jesus desires deeply for you, is to know the Father, to have intimate relationship with him, made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit alive in us. So today we're going to look uh, at a couple of passages. We're going to start in in Matthew chapter 14 as we look at how this plays out in Jesus's life. Uh, Matthew chapter 14. There are three major stories, crucial stories in the Gospels that happen in this one chapter. Okay, it begins. uh, First, we've got the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is his key role in in the Gospels. Uh, John the Baptist is actually the cousin of Jesus. He's the one who's been anointed as the prophet to prepare the way for the arrival of Jesus. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, John makes this incredible declaration where he says, I must become less. He must become greater. He points to Jesus and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And at that moment, uh, John's disciples leave him and begin to follow Jesus. So powerful. It's beautiful. As we've said here before, many of us have this saying as as we say, you know, we want to make Jesus famous, right? And that's great. Jesus is already famous, okay? And the other part of that is a lot of times we want him to return the favor for us. Right. Jesus, I want to make you famous. But as I lift you up, I hope I'm lifted up with you. I hope my influence grows with you. And as more followers go to you, I hope that happens for me, too. And I gain influence and my platform grows. John the Baptist does not speak that way. John the Baptist does not lay out that kind of pattern. He says, there he is, the Lamb of God. Go to him. And John's ministry leaves him. John ends up in prison, and what we see happening in this passage is that John loses his life for speaking the truth to the leaders, to the rulers. He speaks the truth to them. Uh, Herod is in a relationship with his brother's wife, 
And so John speaks to Herod and he says, you can't do that. This is not lawful. You cannot do that. He's thrown into prison. Uh, she is extremely upset, as you might imagine. And she puts together a plan to end John the Baptist's life. She convinces her daughter to dance for Herod in such a way that it says he is so pleased by her dancing that he says to her, I'll give you whatever you want. She says, there's only one thing I want. Her mother prompts her to say this. There's only one thing I want. I want right here in front of me a platter with John the Baptist's head on it. And Herod makes it happen. Herod makes it happen. And thus ends the story of the last great prophet of God. Jesus says John is greater than all the prophets that have come before him. Jesus says John is greater. He's the greatest in the kingdom, he says. And yet this is how his life ends. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking. It's tragic. And you can see this break that happens in the story. You sense things are starting to spin out of control. It's tragic. This is not just a partner in ministry for Jesus. This is also a family member for Jesus. That's story number one. Story number two that we see that happens next is Jesus uh, performs this miracle of feeding 5,000 people. Out of the wilderness, he feeds 5,000 people. It's the one miracle, apart from his resurrection, of course, it's the one miracle that shows up in all four Gospels. That's how crucial this miracle is. Incredible story, right? He multiplies the food and the small amount of food and everyone there eats and there's plenty left over. The third story is the disciples are out in a boat and a storm hits them and they are afraid of the storm and they're about to go under and Jesus walks out to them on the water, invites Peter to walk on the water with him. Incredible story. All three of those could be sermons all by themselves. All three of those could be incredible sermons all by themselves, and we've talked about all three of those before. But today, for this subject, we're not going to look at those three stories. We're actually looking at the interlude that connects those three stories. I know that might sound weird because you don't care about interludes, right? You don't care about the connecting piece of a story. Nobody examines the connecting pieces of a story. They're just there to kind of serve story to make the story move along but in the case of Jesus in the life of Jesus and what we're looking at today with this intimacy it, these actually become the story the interlude here that connects all of these actually become the story and the story hangs on these moments that we find in between the action scenes we're going to read a couple of these passages Matthew chapter 14 Look first at uh, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened to John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And then the miracle feeding of the 5,000. What happens right on the heels of that is the next piece. Uh, look at verse 22. 
Immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, these are incredible stories, but what we need to see here and what's so crucial about the life of Jesus is what happens in between. These small, these quiet moments that connect the story. They do more than just move the story along. They become the story. They become the story because it's out of these moments of solitude. It's out of these moments of solitude that the rest of it flows. Fresh off of this tragedy that happens to John the Baptist, Jesus retreats. Jesus retreats and he goes away to a solitary place, it says. We see him doing this all throughout the Gospels. He retreats into the presence of his father in this solitary, alone place in that intimacy that he has with his father. His response to that tragedy is to retreat into this intimacy with his father. He barely gets into that before the crowd is so hungry for him, they chase him out beyond the edges of the town, out into the wilderness. I love this. They're so hungry for Jesus, they chase him to a place where it ends up only he can provide for them. I hope that's true of us too. I hope that's true of us too. They chase him out into that solitary, alone place, and then out of the solitary moment, comes this miracle of feeding the 5,000. What happens right after that? He retreats again to the mountainside to be by himself to pray, retreats again into this intimacy with the Father. And what happens after that? He launches out again to perform another incredible miracle, walking on the water, showing that he is not only above nature, which he absolutely is. He is above the storm. He's also in the storm with the disciples. It's a powerful story. But we can't miss what happens in between. It's actually what happens in between that makes the story. We see this pattern frequently in the life of Jesus. Retreat, restore, relaunch. Retreat, restore, relaunch. Jesus says in John chapter 8, we're going to get to that passage in a minute, but he says that the works that, that he does, he does through the Father and the Father does through him. They are the same. They are the same works happening. It's out of this intimacy with the Father that Jesus relaunches again. We see this pattern happen over and over and over. Intimacy with the Father is his anchor. Intimacy is his anchor. Fresh off the tragedy, he retreats into the intimacy and relaunches into the miracle. Off of the miracle, he retreats into the intimacy and he relaunches into the next miracle. It is his anchor all the way through. Intimacy is his anchor. We find that intimacy is also his identity. It's also his identity all the way throughout 
the Gospels, we see this pattern repeating itself over and over again, starting with the earliest story that we have of Jesus's childhood after his birth. The only story we have of Jesus's childhood, it says that when his parents had been to the temple on this pilgrimage and then they were leaving, they realized that Jesus had stayed behind. They left Jesus behind. They got like a day and a half away and realized we lost the son of God. This is not good. All right. They lost the son of God. And so they go back and they find him and they're like, where were you? Why did you leave us? And Jesus says, you should have known where to find me. Why are you surprised? You should have known I would be in my father's house. I would be in my father's house. He knows it from the earliest. He, he forms his identity. This intimacy is his identity. Intimacy is identity. It's so powerful. Out of that, we see one of the next stories that we get of Jesus' baptism, where his ministry launches off of his baptism. And at this moment, when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, when he comes back up out of the water, it says that the voice of the Father booms out of heaven and says, this is my son, and with him, I am well pleased. Follow him and obey his commands. And in that moment, it says the Holy Spirit also is seen descending on him. Jesus' identity. Before Jesus performs any miracle, this is his identity. Before Jesus completes his mission on the cross, this is who he is. Everything else is flowing out of identity. It is his anchor, it is his identity, and the rest of his ministry is flowing out of that and empowered by that. Fresh off of the baptism, it says that he's led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to fast for 40 days. 40 days without food in the desert, fasting, and yet at the same time feasting on this word from the Father. This is my son, with him I am well pleased. This is my son, with him I am well pleased. He's feasting on that so that when the temptation comes at the end of 40 days, Jesus, unlike Adam in the garden, Jesus sets us free from sin. It begins in this moment when he resists temptation. He resists temptation. And how does he do it? He keeps retreating back to this idea of his identity. He keeps retreating back to this idea of his identity. I don't need to perform this miracle. I know who I am. I don't need to do that. I know who I am. I don't need to do that. I know who I am. It's his, his identity. Intimacy is identity. Out of the fasting and the temptation, we see as Jesus begins to perform miracles frequently, he prays before he performs the miracle in order to give glory to his father. Uh, at the resurrection of Lazarus, he says, Father, I do this. And, and, and I'm speaking to you and I thank you, even though I already know I'm saying this for their benefit, he says, so that they can hear, so that they can know what is happening. And constantly he is giving glory back to his father and showing that what he does is from the father and what the father does is through him. And they are one. They are one. When Jesus comes up against opposition in his ministry, it doesn't it, he doesn't cave on that because he knows who he is. He knows who he is, and when people begin to accuse him, not just opposition, but accusation, when that comes against him and they say, this man is from the devil, he is not from God, and everything he does is from the devil, Jesus, again, comes back to his identity. Comes back to his identity. He says, I and the Father are one. We are one, and you don't know him because you don't know me. 
And when you accuse me of that, it shows that you don't even know him. Because if you knew him, you would recognize me. Always intertwined identity. identity. At his coronation, when he comes in for the triumphal entry, he is able to put that aside. This high moment in his ministry, and yet he's able to put that aside and begin to look at the cross. And begin to look at the cross because he understands who he is and what he has come to do. When we find him in the garden on the edge of his crucifixion, he is pleading with the Father. Let this cup pass from me. My Father, let this cup pass from me. Three times he says that. In in this ancient culture, the cup would have represented his fate. And he's saying, let this cup pass from me. Don't make me drink it. Don't make me drink it. And yet he says, but not my will. Your will be done. Where does that come from? It's that intimacy with the Father to trust and to know, even though I don't want to embrace this cup, I will take it because it comes from your hand and I trust you. And Jesus embraces that and it carries him through. It carries him through intimacy with the Father. Intimacy is identity. Intimacy is identity. He goes even deeper in this. In John 14, this is uh, his last night with his disciples. And, and here's what he says. Um, as, he's, as he's telling them, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go to the Father, but you're going to come. You're going to join me, and you already know the way to the place where I'm going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You said that we're going to know the way, but we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes through the Father except through me. Do you have a relationship with the Father? Do you know him? You know him through Jesus. And Jesus is inviting you into that relationship. And if you feel like the Holy Spirit is drawing your heart right now, is, 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 has a hold of you and something is happening in your heart at your core, That is that invitation drawing you in. If you want to be a part of that, you have cards in your seats, check on there. There's something, there's a box that says, I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. Check that and let's talk. And right now, even in this moment, as we continue to move on, maybe you and the Holy Spirit are going to stay right here in this spot and let him speak to you and let him work in your heart and surrender and submit and embrace that relationship that's available through Jesus Christ. He says this, if you really knew me, then you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know my father and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? These words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. His identity is intimately intertwined. Intimacy is 
identity. This is so powerful. One of my favorite writers, a guy named A.W. Tozer, he said this, what is God like? Do you want to know what God is like? A proper answer will always be, he is like Christ. What is God like? He's like Christ. You have trouble getting your mind around what the infinite, almighty, all-sovereign, untouchable God is like? What about the image of Jesus? Can you Get your mind around that a little bit better. Can you see what he is like by reading through the Gospels and seeing his life? That's what the Father is like. That is what the Father is like. Yes, Jesus is like the Father, but also the Father is like Christ. That's what God is like. For Christ is God, he says. And the man who walked among men in Palestine was God acting like himself. God acting like himself. You want to know what the Father is like? Read the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus. And he has come to reveal to us what the Father is like. What the Father is like. Intimacy is identity. And Jesus, through grace, pulls us into this, uh, into this intimacy and invites us to be a part of it. In the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he teaches us how to pray, he begins with this, word, with this phrase, Our Father. Our Father, he pulls us into that intimate relationship and invites us to be a part of that. And therefore, he resets our primary vision of who God is. In the New Testament, Jesus resets that. He helps us to see God. He helps us to see God. What is your primary vision of God? How do you see him? Do you see him as sovereign ruler? Good, because that's what he is. Do you see him as a righteous judge? Good, because that's what he is. But neither one of those are the primary vision that Jesus reveals to us about who God is. The primary vision is that of a loving father. A loving father. He repeatedly portrays him in that way and shows us that that is his character. That is he, who he is. Yes, he is sovereign ruler. Yes, he is righteous judge, but he's revealing himself to us as loving father. That's at the core of his character. You need to understand this. Your identity, your identity, however you claim that in your life, your primary identity is that of a son or a daughter to the Father, God Almighty. That is your primary identity because of the work of Christ, because what Christ has accomplished and drawn you into. That is your first identity. So every other aspect of your identity, whatever you claim as that, every other aspect is secondary and therefore submitted to this primary identity identity as a son or a daughter of God. Holy Spirit, work in us and help us to understand that and work in us right now on that. Another one of my favorite authors is a, a guy named Brennan Manning. And Brennan Manning uh, has this incredible book called Abba's Child. You should look into that. And he talks to us about this incredible way that Jesus presents God as the Father, reveals God as Father. And he says that often the term that Jesus uses is not this formal kind of term that we think of when we think of father. 
he actually uses this term Abba. Abba, which for us would be translated something intimate like daddy. Daddy. This was scandalous for Jesus to say in that time and in that place. And yet it's so powerful in the way that he pulls back the curtain for us to understand the heart of God himself. Abba. Abba. The incredible thing he says is that as Jesus starts to speak in these terms and starts to talk about God as Abba. He says for many of the people that were in the room, many of the father, fathers that would have been in the crowd listening to this, they knew that term very well because most likely it was the first word that their children ever uttered. It was the first word that their children ever uttered. It's, the, it's like the easiest thing. Like often in our culture, it's that way. A lot of times the kids, the, it's the word that they can form first is da-da, right? Da-da. And we know that the mom is the real, right? The mom is the hero. We get that. But the first words are able to form da-da. And the same is true in that culture, Abba, Abba. And he said many of the fathers that are listening that they had left that morning for their daily work routine or whatever that they were doing in the day. And probably one of the last things that they heard was some of their young children holding on to their leg, tugging at them, whatever, and calling them Abba, Abba, Abba. And he says, this is who God is. This is who God is. Abba. And he's inviting you into that kind of relationship. Now, without a doubt, many of us, when we start to hear that, the walls come up. You've heard us talk about that before. But we're going to continue to talk about it because this is an issue that is at the root of so much hurt and pain in our culture. And until that is healed, we will continue to address it. For many of you, the walls go up when you hear that. Father, if God is a father, I don't want anything to do with him. Because my father failed me or worse. Because when I needed my dad, he wasn't there. He was gone. Or because of hurt and pain that continues to wreck my life because of that failure. And so when we hear the thought of God as Father, man, I'm done. No, thank you. I've been there before. I don't need a Father who has infinite. I don't need that, no. But even if that's your story, think about this. Haven't you from time to time dreamed about what a good and loving Father would be like? even if you've experienced the exact opposite in ways that I can't even fathom right now. But haven't you dreamed of what it could have been like, what it should have been like? Maybe you see the fathers of of friends around you and you think, "Ah, I wish I had that. And so even though you've never experienced it, still you've got this imagination. You've got this seed of an idea of what it could have been like. And what Jesus says to us is God the Father takes that idea, takes that hope, takes that imagination and completely blows it out of the water. He is the best 
kind of father you can possibly imagine. And in those moments when you've let your guard down to imagine that, he takes that imagination and he blows it out of the water. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants to draw you into relationship with him through the reality of Jesus Christ. I don't know what's ahead in this year for you guys. I don't know what's ahead in this year. I know you've made goals of what you hope to see happen. But the reality is life will hit you with some things that were never on your list. Life will hit you with some things that were never on your list. And the only way you are going to survive is to retreat, restore, relaunch, to experience that intimacy with the Father. Jesus tells stories all throughout his ministry. Up to one-third of his teaching consists of stories. And in those stories, he puts all these crisis moments because he's showing us reality. But the heroes in Jesus' stories are not the people who are able to carefully and strategically plan in such a way that they can avoid crisis. The heroes in Jesus' stories are the people who respond to crisis with godly wisdom. How How do they do that? Because they're already intimately rooted in the Father, or else that crisis sends them into retreat into this place where they run into the intimacy with the Father, and that is how they survive. Jesus says the Father is the gardener who cultivates the inner life, who strengthens your character, and he's inviting you into that. That is what Jesus desires for you. That is what Jesus wants for you. This is what the heart of Jesus begins with right here, is intimacy with the Father. He's obsessed with two things, bringing glory to the Father and bringing redemption to the world. And he wants to see those two collide as you are brought into the heart of the Father to experience that intimacy. He wants to see that happen. He wants to see it happen. How does it happen? Well, he tells us plainly, through him. Through him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And when you're experiencing him, you're experiencing the Father. And so he invites us into that. On your way out today, we want to make it real practical for you. The new year is a great time to establish some new rhythms in your life. So we've laid out some simple plans and some simple steps to help you begin to engage with Scripture, which will shape you, which will form you, which will bring you into intimacy with the Father, and also some steps to help you begin to engage in intentional prayer. Start small. These are small steps. These are small steps, but we want to help encourage that and empower that discipleship and mission in your life. This is what Jesus wants for you. It's not by your performance of these things, not at all. It's by the power and the presence of him at work in those things. He wants to bring you into that intimacy, and that is the place where he will continue to tell you the truth about who you are. He will continue to remind you the truth about who you are, and it will become your anchor, and it will become your identity. All other parts of your identity secondary and therefore submitted to that. 
And it's in that place where he will convict you of things in your life that you have to release, that you have to surrender. And it's in that place where he will comfort you when you're going through trials. It's in that place where he will bring healing to you of past very deep wounds that you still hold on to. It's in that place that he will give you a vision for what's ahead for your life. It's in that place where he'll give you wisdom and direction for what your next step is supposed to be. It all flows out of that. Intimacy is our anchor and it is our identity and it's at the heart of the heart of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your truth. Thank you for the way that you challenge us and I pray that you would help us to experience what you've offered to us. Help us to find our anchor. Help us to find our identity in that intimacy that is being offered. God, I pray that for some people in this room, this next year will be a season of the greatest growth they've ever experienced in their Christian walk. And I pray for your grace in that because for some, that's going to come through a time of where it just feels like everything is green pastures. But for others, that growth is going to come because of difficulty and because of storms that they never imagined they were going to have to face. It's going to come through things that were not on their list. God, I pray that you would lead them through, be their anchor, and form their identity. And do that for me as well. See you in your name we pray. Amen.